0: your inner armor. Welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast with Dr. Timothy Royer, where we explore ways to train our brains and bodies to become dynamically resilient so that we can all, from professional athletes to ordinary people, perform at our potential. Well, welcome back to the podcast. We are here as always with Dr. Royer. Doc, say hi and let us know where you are and what you've been up to since the last time we talked.
1: Greg, it's so good to be with you today and with the listeners out there. Yeah, we just recently finished this house we were working on. If you remember a few episodes back when I was putting the doorknobs on the house, we're actually in the house using the doorknobs on a daily basis and they're all working It's such a process. Uh, It always reminds me of building a house, like what it takes to, in our own lives, to kind of to build ourselves and maintain things and, you know, maintenance on things. I always tell people, you know, we get our furnace checked every couple of years or every year, but when was the last time you got your brain checked? (laughs) So uh, yeah, it's good to be here in Charlotte, outside of Charlotte, getting used to that. Got to get on the road here uh, next week. To Virginia and then out to San Francisco. And then we head over to Europe in uh, about two weeks. So get ready for that, but all good, exciting stuff. Exciting stuff. Now you're going to San Francisco partly, of course, to visit
0: the San Francisco 49ers in the NFL, which is Relevant to the topic of today's yeah. discussion, we're going to be talking about the National Football League and kind of the occasion of this conversation is that Netflix has released this incredible series, documentary series, behind the scenes documentary series called uh, Quarterback. Mm-hmm. And it follows three NFL quarterbacks, one who you know real well, I'm sure we'll, we've talked before in the last few episodes with Kirk Cousins of the Minnesota Vikings. Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs, and, and at the time the series was recorded, Marcus Mariota with the Falcons. So that was a, it's a fascinating series. It's really popular. A lot of people watching it. And of course, people binge watch this. So if you haven't watched the series, go to Netflix and uh, pick a few nights and, and get through it. But we're going to talk to Doc about this because Doc has his own perspective on the position of quarterback in the NFL. Doc, you have worked with, trained, assessed most of the quarterbacks in the NFL, starting quarterbacks. And so it's real exciting to get your perspective on this position. And it really is a very exclusive position. You know, as I was watching the show, it was occurred to me that there are are 32 quarterbacks or 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL, which is more than the number of Supreme Court justices but less than a third of the number of U.S. senators. So it is a extremely exclusive club and a very select number of people are able to play at this position and have this job. So we want to pick your brain a little bit. First of all, ask you, you know, what you think of the series, what you've seen of it so far. But also, of course, uh, what you've learned uh, in that. Uh, what does it take to play this position? What kind of people can get into this exclusive club? What does it take to stay there? Uh, what does it take to be successful?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think as we, we uh, talk about that from uh, just looking at the specific position, I think there's other applications we can go outside of that to all of us that want to have some of these same cognitive skills many of us may not be able to throw the ball like a quarterback but we sure want to be focused we want to be resilient uh, in the series they talk a lot about recovery and bouncing back and wear and tear this has on the body and so there are a lot of principles that apply to all of us that we can glean as we look through specific aspects of this position i would say of uh, Any sport, any particular position, this is probably the one I know the most about. You mentioned uh, working with the different quarterbacks. Currently, 11 of the starting quarterbacks, so a third. Uh, I have looked at their brains. I've worked with uh, some of them personally in training, assessed. And uh, it's very interesting to be able to each week flip through a red zone or uh, whatever we're going to be watching the different games on and watch each of them respond differently. And to realize that the downstream behavior of throwing the ball under pressure, reacting, making decisions really does start with the upstream brain and how it works. And I really like that about this series. it wasn't just like, well, this is this person's uh, completion percentage, or this is this person's amount of touchdowns. This series specifically goes beyond that to kind of the deeper aspects that these are real people with uh, like in the first episode uh, with Mariotto, where he says, do we still have to make the crib tonight? You know, it's like, yeah, because if you're going to have children, you know, you gotta, you know, if that baby's going to be born, it needs a crib. And, just seeing the, the nuances of these are real people and they become larger than life. But the question is, how did they get to larger in life? They're still a real person. They were still a second grader at one point in a classroom with a bunch of other second graders. And yet they got to this level throughout their life. And so what was the, the secret sauce that got there? And that's what we do a lot of on our neuroanalytics is when we analyze an athlete, every organization is looking downstream at how they threw in college, you know, what their training was, what kind of competition they went against, how they reacted under pressure. But the organizations that I've worked for that have been very successful in, with their quarterbacks look beyond that. They look kind of like at Netflix, in a sense, behind the curtain. What is this person made of? How well can they learn the playbook How well do they adapt? What are their learning styles, their memory functioning, uh, their processing speed? You know, when you look at the matrix, the forging matrix that we do at Armor, it has built in there a lot of these key features that we look at for quarterbacks uh, in relation to visual processing, how the body responds under pressure, focusing, and those kind of things. So I'm looking forward to talking about that today. I I thought it was interesting. The day after the series came out, I was on a flight to go visit an NFL quarterback to do some work with him. And I was sitting in the airport lounge and behind me, a couple guys at the bar, they're talking about the Netflix series, the quarterback. And I said, that is so funny. Like, I'm going to go see a quarterback and they're talking about it. I'm like, oh, okay. That was just coincidence. I get on the plane, four different people within a few rows of me are watching the quarterback series. I'm like, what in the world? And I've done so much work with Kirk that just a little glimpse, you know, I see him out of the corner of my eye on the screen. I know exactly what they're watching. And then that night I returned flying back and same thing, people talking about the quarterback series, watching it. So it's really caught on, I know. And uh, it's intriguing to people to see what's behind the curtain.
0: Well, let's kind of break that down a little bit. And obviously, this is a very complex position and these are very complex individuals. I'd like to start by going back in time a little bit. You were talking about they were all second graders at one point and yet maybe not every second grader on the playground or even every kid playing rocket football or even every kid high school quarterback has the potential to reach those heights in the sport. So let's go back and talk about the inherent qualities that an individual has. I mean, you know, what we want everyone to do is maximize their potential. My question is, what are the sort of interesting inherent qualities of these individuals, this select group of 32?
1: It's interesting. When you're looking at these 32 players, we still have to remember they're not all in one box. They come at it at different, from different perspectives, different angles, different giftedness. But the commonality with the ones that really stay with it and become kind of that franchise quarterback, a lot of times, most of the time has some type of significant cognitive or intellectual strength to them. There are many great quarterbacks that are just sheer athletes, but at some point they hit a bump where it's hard to move further because they haven't, they don't have that cerebral context to them. So maybe out of the shoot, they all might look the same, but what you see as a commonality—the ones the longer they're in the league—is this intellectual component. So most quarterbacks that are super successful are going to have a higher IQ. Now, with that being said, there's always a balance in IQ. Is it's not just the guy with the highest IQ wins because if it gets too high, it's almost as if the brain processes so much information. That the physiology and the emotional side of the person can't manage that. And so there's kind of, you don't want to be so high in your IQ that you're overanalyzing every single thing, but you want to kind of be in this above average to high range. And that's typically the sweet spot that we're looking for. A subset of intellectual capacity that we see that's very important in a quarterback is visual processing speed, which would make sense. But it's not always measured correctly. So you need to be looking at... Typically, what we would say is we wouldn't even consider somebody that doesn't have a visual processing speed over a 110, which in standardized testing, 100 is average with a standard deviation of 15. So you have to be at least 110 for us to even look at your processing speed because the game is so fast. These guys that we're talking about that are super iconic are having visual processing speeds up in the standard scores of 130, 140, which is in the 99th percentile, super, super high. And it's interesting not to get out of the quarterback situation, but we did a study a while back of NBA athletes and what kept them in the league the longest. So we looked at 30 different athletes over a period of time. And we looked at all kinds of variables. The number one thing that kept them in the NBA for long past the normal three years or whatever the average is, was processing speed, visual processing speed. So they come in all shapes and sizes, different wingspans, different verticals. But if they could visually process, they would use that to compensate as they got older for maybe some lack of speed, lack of strength, drop in testosterone, those kind of things. Same thing happens with quarterbacks this elite group. I think maybe we have listeners out there that are super fascinated by these
0: two qualities, the IQ and visual processing speed, but could you drill down a little bit and define them? I, I think a lot of people hear about IQ. They have a rough understanding. It's something about how smart you are, but what exactly is IQ and what exactly is it in the context of what you're talking about? And the same thing with visual processing speed. Drill down just a little bit and explain. I mean, we, we hear the term, obviously, how fast you visually process. But what exactly does that mean?
1: Yes, yeah, So first, let's start with IQ, which is your um, intellectual quotient, or what your potential is for learning, in a sense, for taking in information. So it's kind of like if I'm going to go buy a computer, and again, the brain is far more magnificent than a computer, but we may look at different sizes of memory, processing speed within that computer. And we know what the potential, if I'm like a gamer, and I want to go get a gaming computer, well, I'm going to be looking for certain specs that are going to be a little bit different from just the guy that wants to handle a spreadsheet and a Word document, right? I need a computer that can handle high graphics and intensive amounts of storage and memory. Well, IQ is that. Like if you were to go into the store, you could see all different shapes and sizes of computer with different potentials. We all have that. We have a certain potential we're born with. Even the person in remote jungle someplace is born with a certain IQ that could be as high as an NFL quarterback or high as a nuclear physicist. Now, the question after that is, what is introduced to that potential in its capacity to learn. And that's what we call achievement. So when we think of achievement testing, we think of something that I've learned to do, like reading, math, writing, history. You're not born with those things, but you have this computer that can manage that. And so the, the way that should work is whatever power my computer is, it should have the equal power of achievement. So if I have a computer that's at the 50th percentile, my brain works at the 50th percentile intellectually, then I should read at the 50th percentile. So even though there's nothing on an IQ test having to do with an offensive scheme or a specific playbook, there's the ability to digest the complexity of these playbooks and of these different schemes, defensive schemes that you have to analyze and make decisions about. And if you don't have the right size computer, you just can't do that. And you'll see that a lot of times when somebody comes out of college and maybe they were just a pure athlete, you know, like under pressure, they could use their legs to get out of a situation. But then all of a sudden they hit the NFL and it just doesn't work. And a lot of times that's because they might have had some athleticism that got them by, but they didn't really have the intellectual horsepower to handle the complexity of the decision-making that goes beyond just how fast you can run away and scramble and come up with something. Sometimes you just have to sit in the pocket and release that at the last millisecond in a very complex defense. And that requires a certain intellectual horsepower or computer. So
0: what I hear you saying is, although some people may think of IQ as, well, this person has a master's degree or a PhD or they've read all kinds of books or their knowledge about all these sorts of facts, it really is that capacity to learn and it might be in other contexts. So recently, in the last week, I was talking to a contractor a friend who was having to solve a very complex mechanical problem on a, on a house he was building. And I was just impressed by how he walked through all the things that he did to sort of like, I couldn't have figured out what he did. And so it makes you think that IQ is not just an academic function, but it is that that capacity to learn and problem solve,
1: right? Yeah. And on the flip side, you can have people who have very high IQ, but there's a disconnect between a particular thing that they're trying to achieve at, like, for instance, somebody who has a high IQ, but has a hard time reading, which could go back to what's going on with their muscle coordination in their eyes. And so they're having a deficit in the coordination and therefore their reading isn't as strong as what their intellectual potential. And you may just judge them by their downstream reading, but you need to look at what's their upstream intellectual capacity because that might be what we refer to as a disability or a disconnect between the intellectual horsepower and that specific skill. But you can't do the complexity of the NFL for long term without having a pretty decent IQ. And that has to be up around the 70th percentile at least to to really be able to function with the type of information it's no different than being in graduate school or med school in a different level of achievement that does require a higher level of IQ in order to process that information.
0: Okay, what about visual processing speed? Break that down a little bit for the listener. Obviously, you know we can grasp that some people can sort of, I guess, process things that they see faster, but what does that, what does that in particular mean for all of us and for an NFL quarterback and why is it so important?
1: Um, visual processing speed across almost every sport is essential. I mean, we don't have any blind quarterbacks in the NFL. Doesn't mean you can't throw a football if you're, if you're blind, but there's so much visual complexity. We have seen people like Patrick Mahomes last year when you know he hurt his ankle. His mobility decreased significantly, but yet he still played the position, right? There's different other types of physiological things that happen to an NFL quarterback and they can still perform. But if you don't have your eyes functioning well or functioning at all, you can't perform this task. So a lot of times when people think about vision, they just think of you can see or you, can, you can't see. But vision is on a continuum and we have people that can process huge amounts of information in a short period of time and people who can only process a little bit of information in the same amount of time. And not only process, not only take it in, but how accurate are they going to be with this? I've seen this in quarterbacks where um, we have people that are very fast visually, but their accuracy is off. It's low. And so they're the ones who are going to be more prone to throwing interceptions. I didn't see that guy there missing these very important things where they might be quick, you know, they might be fast, but you have to be accurate too. So in, for instance, in our uh, inner armor forging matrix, the second stage of vision, which is precision is all about speed and accuracy. And that's what we want to develop in not just quarterbacks, but in people, because that's what affects your ability to process information. So that's a subset of our IQ is visual processing. We also have auditory processing and those kind of things and our short-term memory and long-term memory, which is part of IQ. And some of these things are very important for being this particular job, a quarterback, and some aren't that important for being that particular job. And so what we do is we tease those out. But the one that always rises to the top is visual processing speed. And I would say that I see that across on many, many, many arenas from the elementary student to the CEO, to the physician, to the NFL quarterback, that visual processing speed, especially in environment now. Wow. Think of how much we're processing visually. You know, how much time, you know, have you looked at your phone today or your computer and you're taking these abstract shapes that we call letters and you're decoding those and turning those into words, which then create visual images that you then process. I mean, there's so much going on visually that we are overloaded many times. And so we have to make sure that in a quarterback that that base of visual processing speed is there. Now, the cool thing, Greg, is we can, and we've done this before, find somebody who has really high intellectual potential, (IQ) but moderate visual processing speed. Okay, So it's kind of a relative weakness within their abilities. And the cool thing that we do at Inner Armor is we can fix visual processing speed. So just the actual motor coordination of the eyes, we see an average of 150%. That's 150% improvement in motor visual motor coordination with the training. And so this isn't just something like... Uh, That guy, he's not going to make it because of this. We have some organizations that we don't just assess their players. We assess and provide training for their players. And we love finding these guys in the draft that their intellectual potential is through the roof, but their visual processing speed is low. And so they've been kind of an average to high collegiate player. And we look at the numbers and we're like, We're going to turn this guy into a beast because once we fix under the precision section of our matrix, once we fix his visual processing speed, he's now going to harness the power of his intellectual potential and be something that nobody ever thought he could be.
0: Yeah. So the key in the draft is not to find guys that are sort of topped out, functioning at their maximum capacity already. It's to find guys that
1: still have headroom. Uh, they have room for growth, right? Yeah, we call it finding the bent needle in the haystack. You know, like, yes, this, this is, we don't want the perfect one because everybody's already seen the downstream functioning, how fast they can throw the ball, how far, how accurate with what's there. And if what's there, the IQ equals the visual processing speed, and then you have the outcome of these things going on athletically, that's pretty much going to stay the same. But the formula we love is high intellectual potential, moderate to low average visual processing speed, and still good athletic skills. Because we come in and we have our three phases of precision. You know, you have your shaping, which we work on motor skill development first. Then we have refining, where we work on speed and accuracy second. And then third, we have sharpening where now we put those visual skills under stress and still have them manage at a high level. And that's when we see these huge improvements in visual processing speed. And whatever you paid for the guy at the draft, he's worth four times that after we fixed their, for the precision side. And that's just one segment of the 4G matrix that we're working with.
0: So we're looking at IQ, cognitive capacity, we're looking at visual processing speed and accuracy. Are there any other criteria that you look
1: at for this position? Yeah. One of the things that we want to look at is how well they can recover. So the recovery process, so you're going to take the amount of pressure on a system that these guys have been used to collegiately, and you're going to now amp that up four to five fold. And it's all going to be compressed in the season where you might have games that are only separated by four days, right? And so you have to be able to recover well. You have to be resilient, really. And that has to be solid, that resiliency. And so there's different ways to look at that. Uh, One of the main ways to look at that is looking at their EEG, which is the electrical current in the brain. You can't get any further upstream than actually looking at the brain and the electrical current brain imaging. I can look, yeah, we have all these people that talk about and analyze downstream things, but when I'm all the way upstream looking at electrical current in the brain, I have a very concrete understanding of that person's ability to recover and manage stress. And so that's going to be closely tied to how well they're sleeping how well they're using oxygen and energy. Uh, So uh, this goes along with the the power section of the forging uh, matrix, where we're working on how we're breathing and how that affects our recovery and our overall resilience. And you'll see these players that maybe they've been okay and they've been doing well in the collegiate level, but now we're adding this extra stress and they don't have enough Recovery processes or resilience to bounce back quick enough, and the place we'll see this a lot when we do our sleep studies is in their deep sleep. And so, deep sleep is kind of that point that our body recovers, and it's really the factory from which we make testosterone. And uh, we will we will look at this as well, like how is their testosterone production? Um, because we know. If their testosterone production or DHEA, which is a precursor to that, is lower than normal, that they're going to have a really hard time bouncing back. And we, we, can, trick, we can go upstream from their low testosterone and see they're having a problem in their deep sleep cycle, which has to do with further upstream the brainwave activities that manage deep sleep aren't functioning well. I know this you know, sounds very complex, but it is a specific formula that lets us see your ability to recover and bounce back from what happened on Sunday is going to be totally dependent on how resilient your brain is. It's still, for us, you know, somewhat theoretical, but I am seeing clinically that overall injury prevention and even response to concussion is impacted by some of these baseline numbers. If you have low resiliency, low recovery, poor deep sleep patterns, kind of uh, sporadic testosterone production, you're more prone to when something happens to you, the whole system collapsing.
0: So these are, so there's either the essential qualities you're looking at. Now, what kinds of demands are put on these players? Now, the Netflix series, if anyone, you know, encourage everybody to watch it, but it does a really good job of sort of following these players through their day, through their week, through their season. And you get a sense in as many, as much as you can in eight episodes, what kinds of demands are put on them. What, what kinds of things do you think that most people don't know about the demands of this position?
1: Yeah, I would say the one that maybe doesn't just come to us, you know, intuitively, I mean, we understand the pressure from the, you know, people that are on the sports talk shows or the media or different things. I mean, that's pretty obvious. The stuff gets really irrational very fast and being on the insides of a lot of these different teams and players, you realize, wow, these guys are missing the boat left and right. They have no idea what's going on and you have to kind of ignore that. And I think a lot of these guys learn how to, you know, it's still there. But I mean, that's an obvious thing. The the spotlight of I mean, you are the show. I mean, you know, you are the spotlight's on you. Game day, game night, and um, there's a lot of obvious pressure there. But the place that I think that I see, actually, I know I see that's the most problematic for these guys is how much all of these distractions rob them from good sleep. And I would really like, if if a player asked me, what can I do to get better? I would say, sleep more. And when you think you're sleeping enough, you need to sleep more than that. Because almost every one of these guys get themselves in sleep deprivation. By the time they get to the two thirds of their season, they're falling asleep in morning meetings. They're staying up late, studying the playbook they've got all these other demands on them that from your initial view of it looks like, well, that I need to compromise my sleep in order to get these things done because there's just not enough time in the day to do it. So the best place is to take it from sleep. But I would say what becomes the, the worst case scenario for these guys is when they don't pay attention to their sleep. And you can, I mean, Kirk and I have worked on this for years where he's become a phenomenal sleeper, but he's had to make some serious changes to the way he does family life, the way he takes on demands. And number one filter for him is, am I going to get my eight and a half, nine hours of sleep? Because they need more sleep in order to process. And a lot of these guys say, well, I'm getting six, seven hours of sleep. Well, that's not going to cut it. You will not make enough testosterone. You will not have enough REM sleep to be able to retain the complexity of the playbook and you're you're going to lose your processing speed because it's dependent on that recovery the single most important thing to everybody listening right now to Greg and to me is not what's going on right now but what happened 12 hours ago you know it's 2:50 right now pm eastern but the most important thing in my day was what was happening at 2:50 am and that's what separates the men from the boys, I think, in when it comes to these guys is their ability to recover, which comes from good sleep patterns.
0: So they come into the league and they have a few years of being, in a sense, tested. Let's, let's kind of end today by talking about that longevity issue that you brought up earlier, because you've got a lot of great players that come in. They have a few great years, but there are those sort of legends of the game that keep playing and keep producing, uh, keep being effective for, for a long time, the very long playing careers. What separates that or what do they need to do to keep developing? It? You, you've mentioned sleep, you've mentioned visual processing training, uh, you've mentioned uh, you know, cognitive training. What other kinds of things do they need to do to be successful
1: over the long haul in the NFL? Yeah, I would. I mean, there's so many different things but I want to talk about just two, two things that maybe we don't really think about, okay? One is, I think there's very few times that you will see an iconic quarterback that doesn't have some type of iconic coach next to them. And a lot of times when people kind of look at a guy and say, well, you know, he hasn't gotten uh, the Lombardi trophy, uh, he hasn't been this many playoff games, I would say, well, there's more to this than just how good that quarterback is. There are coaches that also come in all shapes and sizes, right? And when I'm talking about intellectual capacity and achievement and what people are seeing on the field and their visual processing speed, uh, I've tested over a dozen NFL coaches too. And uh, it's, it's really interesting. That you marry together, in a sense, this iconic quarterback. He also needs this companion that knows how to use his strengths and weaknesses. It's not coincidental that Patrick Mahomes has Andy Reid. Would Patrick be just as good? I guess we could, you know, open this up for the sports casters, right? But would he be just as good as anybody else? Maybe. But I think Andy Reid is a genius, you know, and there's, there is something to be said for that. And you could go through different people and start to see the connections with them. So I think that's very important that we look at this within a context. It's not a single person. It could be an incredible offensive line. It could be an incredible coach put together with somebody who's high average and they become very successful. So I think that's externally one thing. But internally, I would say the unique thing is this ability to be very present for a quarterback is they cannot, you only have a finite amount of energy, all of us, right? And there is a significant demand on that energy for during every play and your ability to perform at your highest level and what these really iconic QBs do is they are so present that they're not wasting any energy on the what-ifs. There's not even 10% on the what-ifs. That's not even... A, the future isn't where they're at. The what abouts? I threw four picks this game. Okay? The what abouts? there's no wasted energy on the four picks. You know what? I would have wasted energy on the four picks, right? But the iconic guy's like, uh, I don't, I'm moving on because I've got to, I got to sling this thing, right? And so there's no wasted energy there, 0% on the past, 0% on the future, and they are 100% present. They're so present, many times they're not even paying attention to the crowd, the noise, the moment in the game. They're just doing their thing, right? And that's the difference. The guys who get in their head, and what about, what about, what if, what if? And that's not just for quarterbacks. I mean, that's life. The people who are the movers and shakers in this world, they are present when they're doing their craft. And that's why we are so impressed by them, is they're all in. They're not, you know, scrolling Instagram or doing this or that. They are like right there, right? And so, um, and that is a skill that we all should be challenged to be. be. Because it's something that we're definitely losing in our culture. And when you find an athlete that's way, they stick out. They stick out in a positive way. Man, that guy's all in every moment, fully present. Wow. Exciting. Well, you're off to uh,
0: go visit the San Francisco 49ers. And we've got summer camps starting up uh, here and preseason just around the corner. So it's going to be fascinating to watch this year. Uh, through the insights that you've shared and the insights that we got off the Netflix series. And it makes the whole game so much more interesting and the things that we've heard from Kirk uh, in the last couple of episodes. So thanks for giving us that context, Doc. And, you know, good luck as you continue to help these guys achieve
1: their full potential. Absolutely, this is great discussion, and we want to apply that to ourselves because there's a lot in here about intellectual potential and achieving your your potential in these different areas and being present and recovery. They all it applies to all of us. Yeah, I mean we all we all want to be able
0: to uh, perform that way and to be able to be inspired by these guys because the game of our own life requires uh, all that we can give it. Right. Amen. Well, good luck on your travels, Doc, and we'll talk to you soon again soon. Okay, see y'all later. All later right, bye. This has been the Inner Armor podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Would you please follow or subscribe and make sure to leave us a review or comment. You can learn more about Inner Armor, Dr. Royer, and how to perform at your potential by going to forgeinnerarmor.com